for me. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so all I can say to that is God's God, and we're not. And he uses everything for his glory, even the times when we suffer. But we're so thankful that God is breaking in during these days upon the earth, and he's escalating and uh, expanding the visible notion of his kingdom. Well, before we get too far along, if you're here today, I th a miracle, when it happens, is documented, it's a sign. And the Bible calls those signs and wonders. All of us would go, yeah, it's a sign. You know, what once was in there and now it isn't. And it's a, a miracle. And those are also invitations. Like the exit sign is an invitation. Hey, if you want to get out of the building, this, here's where you go. So if you're here today and if there's a concern in your life, it might be a physical concern. It might be some other concern that just has its, you know, it's wrapped around you. Um, I just want to pray for us. Any of you have concerns in your life. So the way this works, I've prayed a thousand times. It doesn't matter. Keep praying. So stand up if you have a concern you want us to pray for. That's all we'll ask. If, you know, just you don't have to share what that is. And we'll get some folks to get around you. And we're just going to pray uh, very, you know, casually, specifically, that God would touch your life. So concerns, just stand up. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. <laughs> Standing in the need of prayer. <laughs> I'll share more about that in a few, few moments. Okay, there's some up in the balcony as well. So let's just take a moment. And those of you who are near, those who are standing, just stand up around them and put a hand on, your, on their shoulder. And, you know, it might be you're standing in for somebody else. It might be a concern for a loved one, whatever it is. And let's just join our hearts together in prayer, shall we? So just begin to pray, just kind of quietly for that person who's standing. God sees the heart. And he understands the need. And now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to give you thanks that you are uh, doing in our midst, Lord, more than we really could ask or think. And we're asking you to increase uh, the measure of your power, the manifest presence of Jesus in our midst. Lord, he is the one. It is Jesus, only Jesus. So, Father, would you make yourself known? Uh, today, would you do extraordinary things in the hearts of those who have stood uh, and have boldly said there's a concern, and, God, they're lifting it up by virtue of their standing right now. And, Holy Spirit, would you begin to touch? Would you begin to heal? Uh, would you begin to set them free, God, in any way you need to do that, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's relational, God, you know the need. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you continue to release your hand of mercy and your healing power uh, into each of those who have graciously and boldly stood because they believe that you are able to do more than we could ask or think in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, <clears throat> amen. You know, Jesus prayed really small prayers. I mean, you know, not small uh, qualitatively he just said things like see be healed <laughs> we're going to see that well uh, take your Bible if you would and turn to um, Isaiah 62 I want to share I want to just read a word uh, to you from Isaiah 62 the first two or three verses and I want to share uh, some out of 
that scripture about God um, changing our name. Isaiah 62, by the way, thank you, Lisa. That is, uh, I'm always amazed at what I see come out of the gifting of your heart and life when you come and paint for us. Thank you uh, so much. Isaiah 62, <laughs> verse 1 says, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation is a lamp that burns. Now in the context, this is clearly uh, being written to Zion, the place where God is, and Jerusalem. And yet, when there is a prophetic word, there is often uh, two layers to the prophetic word. Um, it is clearly to Zion and Israel, specifically Jerusalem, but it's also to those who are in Zion now where God is, the church. So verse 2 then says, The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken. You shall no longer be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hezbollah and your land Beulah, which means, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be called married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over her bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isn't that cool? The question is, how does God see you today? More importantly, how do you see yourself? Because how you see yourself often dictates how you see God and your interpretation of how he sees you. Well, this shift that is happening globally right now is a shift or a revolution of the church beginning to understand who she is. It's happening all over. You may not be aware of it. But God, by His mercy, is pouring out the revelation to hearts uh, who are open to receive that revelation, and we're beginning to understand, some of us for the first time, who we really are. So this revolution is happening by which God is shifting our understanding from what we were to who we actually are in Him. Now, uh, let me say, first of all, Roman numeral one, I just had to outline this, I'm an outline guy. Roman numeral one is that the devil gives names that disempower you. The, the devil is a liar, and he is an accuser, and he is a slanderer, and he will give names to you hoping that you will agree with him about that name. These are actually names that create alias identities. I don't know what else to call it, but an identity that's not true. It's a lie. It's an accusation. And some of us have believed that lie. That's the point of the names that he has planted in our minds and in our hearts. These alias identities come because he, the scripture says, is a liar and the father of lies. 
That means he's really good at it. He's really good at lying. And he's really good at getting you to, f to find a weakness in your heart and in your life so that you can begin to agree with him. He's an accuser of the brethren, Revelation tells us. And what he does, the enemy, is that he will then enlist your uh, involvement or agreement with the lie, with the name that he speaks to your heart. For example, in Isaiah 52, we said that you will no longer be called forsaken or desolate or lonely or shamed or arrogant. And we could just go on and on and on about the lies and the names that the enemy puts upon his people. Now, these names that he has sown into our understanding or into our mind are actually word pictures that become lenses through which we see ourselves in the world around us. So in other words, I begin to see the world around me not so much for what it is, but for how I see myself. I begin to see God not so much for who he is, but for how I believe I am. I begin to see other people not for who they are and how God sees them, but for how I see myself. These words become lenses then by which we uh, perceive reality around us and the devil is really good about sowing lies and distortions and deceptions into the people of God. You all tracking with me? Somebody say amen. Okay, just so I know you're awake. Uh, so then... If the enemy gives names that are lies and accusations, untruth, and, and enlist your agreement into that lie, you need to recognize that God also gives us a name. He gives us names that are actually uh, new names that are prophetic declarations of who we really are. And you'll see that as we end. Now... Examples that I could give you, and there are many in Scripture. The first one I would think of would be Simon. Uh, Simon was, an, was one of the fishermen of the first apostles, and everybody knows Simon. He had his name changed to Peter. His name Peter means the rock. And he became one of the great apostolic leaders in the church and was the, the one through whom the Spirit of God released himself on the day of Pentecost by which 3,000 people came to Jesus and were baptized in the Spirit. Uh, Simon, the arrogant fisherman, no account. You see what I'm saying? This is who he was, and God called him by a new name, and it was absolutely transformational. Second example would be Saul, the arrogant religionist who was standing at the death of the first martyr by the name of Stephen, saying something like, yeah, go get him. He deserves to die. And they laid their cloaks at the feet of a man named Saul until Saul saw Jesus from on high and received a revelation of who Jesus was and it changed everything about him. And God changed his name from Saul to Paul. He became one of the great apostles of the early church and in fact through him the Spirit of God released himself to author and inspire the writing of much of the New Testament. You all know that. Another example, we've talked about Abram in the Old Testament. Abram uh, was a man who uh, God chose him and said, follow me. 
and I'm going to take you out of this land into another land. You're going to be a great, you, I'm going to make your name great, a great family is going to come out of you, etc. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, a father of many nations or a father of multitudes. His wife's name was changed. I didn't put her up here, but Sarah became Sarah, the woman, of, the mother of many. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, the grandson of, of uh, Abraham by the name of Jacob, he was a deceiver and a liar and a trickster. If you read his story in Genesis, you'll find that that was always true until God changed his name to Prince of God, Israel. And then his sons, the children of Israel, were where you and I come into play. We are of that seed of Abraham. So Jacob's name was changed from trickster to prince of God. You following what I'm saying? The enemy, remember, gives us false names, false aliases to destroy us, to disempower us, and to cause us to agree with him. And some of you are doing that today. Trust me. That's a prophetic word. Some of you are still locked in that old thing. But here's what happened. Last night, one of our intercessors came up to me this morning. She had a dream last night. And she said, God is going to begin to liberate you, Pastor Steve, from the lies in which you have believed. And as you get free, God is going to liberate all of his people. And I see the truth pressing down on the people of God and setting them free from the lies that they believed. That happened last night. She didn't have a clue what I was preaching on. So God changes our name and it's a prophetic declaration of who we are and how he sees us. Revelation 2.17, in fact, I'll turn there real quickly and read the whole text to you. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 uh, says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, Jesus often said, this is parenthetical, Jesus often said, be careful how you hear. Not what you hear, be careful how you hear. He also said, be careful how you see. Not what you see. Be careful how you see, because if your eye is single and full of light, your whole life will be full of light. But if your, light, if your, if your vision, how you see, is clouded, everything's going to be clouded. How you see God, how you see yourself, how you see other people, and how you see the world around you. So Revelation 2.17 continues, To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. That means you get nutrition that comes right from the throne. You get the good bread uh, to eat, and I will give him, that is, him who overcomes, he who has an ear to hear, I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name will be written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And I put in, in parentheses not only him who receives it, but the Lord who gave it. Now, what does this white stone and name mean? I think it's a prophetic picture that in heaven, every one of you already have a new name. You already have it. And when you step through the shroud and into that place, that, that place where we're at the end of time, you're going to be handed a white stone. Would it be a little stone? I don't know. Would it be a big, gigantic? I don't know, but I know it's going to be white. And I know that on that white stone, which probably symbolizes absolute purity, that's who you are. 
And not only will it be a white stone, but there'll be a new name on that white stone that only you know and the Lord knows who gave it to you. Now, this is going somewhere because you've been given a new name already. So, uh, not only does the enemy give us names that lie and disempower us, have you ever, you know, your word that, what's that called? Your self talk? This is where some of us are. You, you are a right. These aren't words. These are, these are feelings about ourselves. You rotten. Come on, help me out. You no good. You heard your dad say when you were a wee little boy, you will never amount to anything. I was reading a book and in it it said, my stepfather always called me a dumbass from the time I was wee little. Now we go, oh, he said ass in church. See, that's who we think we are. Many of us embrace that stuff because it's old. Now if the enemy does that, you need to hear that God has a new name for you and names are more than just semantics. They're transformational. They're prophetic declarations of who you already are. We're just trying to catch up to that prophetic declaration. So, let me look at a couple of things with you. Before we received Christ, uh, we were sinners. We were professional at sinners. It was our job description. How many, you know what I'm saying? Come on. Before we came to Jesus, I was really good. I was a professional sinner. I knew how to walk the walk and talk the talk, and baby, don't get in my way. I will slice your... You know what I'm saying? This was not, this was not good. That's who we were before Jesus. It, it was our profession, and we fulfilled our job description really well. Now... Coming to Jesus, at some point in time, the heart begins to be enlightened. We begin to be illuminated, the light shining in our hearts, and for one reason or another, the Spirit unlocks our understanding and we begin to get it. It being, I need Jesus. So we come to the cross, we surrender our life fully to Jesus, and He then moves us from being a sinner to becoming a saint. Now let me give you some examples so you can track with me biblically. Romans chapter 1 verse 7 says, writing to the church in Rome, Paul said, Beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Called as saints. Let me give you another example. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2, he says, To those who are sanctified in Christ, Saints by calling. Let me give you another example. We've just gone through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.1 is written to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now notice that the Apostle Paul, he had all kinds of trouble with the church in Corinth. You remember that. And he didn't say, you know, he didn't, get, he didn't point to who they were. He always pointed them to who they are, how God sees them. Because how we see ourselves is different from how God sees us. Now, beloved, the church, that's us, we're beginning to get the revelation of who we are. That's the worldwide revolution that's beginning to happen. That's how God is going to raise up a bride that is without spot and without wrinkle. She'll be glorious. 
So why don't you say that with me? She will be glorious. You see, we will become a glorious church. How? Not by our might or power, but by His Spirit as we simply rest in and embrace who He says we actually are. Now, saints, what that word means is holy believer. Holy believer. We, we sang today, you are holy. He absolutely is. And I can tell you, some of you felt a little bit uneasy when we get into that place of, of magnifying God because He's holy. Why? Because we don't see ourselves that way. You, you know, we see when, when, when the, the year in which um, uh, Uzziah, King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw, had a vision of the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. We sang about that, but he said, Woe is me! Whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips! An angel came and he stuck the coal on his lips and he said, Not anymore, son. I've made you a saint of God. You're no longer old. You're new. You see, and that's what God is doing in His church right now. He's raising up people who understand they were sinners and professionals at it, but they are now saints, holy believers. The problem is you can't be a saint and be a sinner at the very same time. Now, let me say, for those of you who are theologically astute, I'm walking a knife edge here. But I'm telling you, I have embraced the lie for a lot of years that somehow, um, well, that's what I call theology of the glass half full. Versus theology of the, the, or a theology of the, the glass half empty. You know, it's about my sin. It's about me. And God says, oh no, it's theology of the, half glass, the glass half full. I've already done for you everything by which you are now holy. I don't feel holy. Not about how you feel. It's about what I did. It's about the redemption of the blood of Christ by which I purchased you back. But you can't be a saint and be a sinner at the very same time. Sinners are those who are prone to sin and they're slaves to sin. Romans chapter 6. Now in Romans chapter 6, there is a prophetic picture called baptism. And baptism is more than a sign of the covenant, though it is clearly that. But it is also a prophetic declaration by which a man or a woman, and read it in Romans chapter 6, goes down into the water and they're dead because of the cross. They emerge up out of the water and they're alive, not with a cross, but with a crown. They're raised from the dead as Christ was raised from the dead. We died with Him. If we died with Him, we'll also reign with Him. So sinners are prone to do wrong and they're slaves to sin. But if you believe that you're a sinner, you will sin by faith. Now listen to that. If you believe... You are still a sinner. Your only option is you will sin by faith. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And many people in the church have been fed the lie, the distortion, that though the cross makes you new, you're still a sinner. Hello? Are we or aren't we? This dual nature thing. I'm telling you, God has... That does not mean I can't sin. I can still sin. 
In fact, what I used to say about myself, maybe you've heard me say it, is I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. You see, that's why people sin, because they're sinners. Well, what happens to those people who are made saints? It's not that they can't sin. It's that um, I am not a saint because I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin because I'm a saint. And beloved, the transformation that happens when you begin to understand who you are and how God sees you is absolutely enormous. He calls us saints of God. You, all, you, you not understand the knife edge? That doesn't mean, you know, there's perfectionism, theological perfectionism. That's not what I'm talking about. I still can sin because of my flesh. But I can tell you this, when I do, I am a miserable puppy. Come on. So I help me. Say, yeah, that's true. I've done that. I've tried it out. I got the t-shirt. I can sin, and I can, my flesh can enjoy it for a season, and I can go, ee but all of a sudden I am a miserable person. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, who is holy, who makes the temple holy, is living in me, and He's pulling against that old stuff. That's why I'm not a saint because I don't sin. I don't want to sin because I'm now getting it that I'm a saint. It changes everything. Now, let me read this text in about... Three others real quickly. 1 John 3, 7, 8, and 9 has been problematic for me for a long time. It says this. 1 John 3, 7 says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Jesus came for a purpose, folks. And here was His purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. Now what's that talking about? All the lies and perversions and accusations that he has pumped into both your mind and your heart from the time you were wee little, telling you that you'll never amount to anything. Jesus came specifically to destroy the works of the devil. Now, no one born of God practices sin. Oh, I knew I was going to get to that. I'm in trouble now. No, whoever is born of God, the verb there, uh, sins, is its present active. In other words, sure, you can sin, but when you do, you're going to be miserable. Therefore, you're not going to habitually practice sin because you're already a saint. At some point in time, you're going to repent and begin to bring your thoughts back up to God and say, that's not who I am. I am a saint even though I can sin. That's not me. What is me? I'm a saint. By the blood of Jesus, He's made me new. You see, the, and, and no one born of God practices habitual sin because his seed. What seed are we talking about? The day of Pentecost. The seed of Jesus was pressed into human flesh. And God gave us a new heart. The Spirit of Jesus now lives in us. This, his seed abides in him and he cannot habitually practice sin because he's now completely new y'all are real quiet y'all hear what I'm saying this morning now some of you have a whole lot of what one female teacher in the nation calls stinking thinking in other words a lot of our thinking stinks when you compare it to what God says and what God is doing upon the earth and the revelation that He's releasing into the church right now 
is to help us begin to sort out what uh, is uh, chaff from what is pure and holy and, and uh, gold and silver and, and precious stone. Uh, so, it is not our nature to sin. That does not mean I can't sin. It means it's not my nature anymore. Uh, righteousness is now our nature. Now, some of you are going to, are you, this sounds too good to be true. Shake your head. It is too good to be true. That's the gospel. That's the nature of Jesus who so loved the world came and gave his life so that the likes of a person like me can be set free. If that isn't good news, I don't know what is. Now, see, it is not our nature to sin. Righteousness is now our nature. That's why Romans 6 says we're no longer slaves to sin. Now we get to be slaves of righteousness. How's that going to work? By the Spirit. By the Spirit of Jesus living in you, He has made you righteous, and He will cause you to become more and more righteous, in your, even in your flesh, because salvation is for the whole man. Righteousness is now our nature. Holiness is our state. And Jesus living in me is holy, and He makes me holy. Holiness isn't about you. That's why we get so insecure when we sing holy about the Lord. He is holy. It's not about us. It's about Him. And that holy man came to this life and gave his life on a cross so that we could be set free. We don't have to have the spiritual heebie-jeebies in His presence. Why? You're already pure. You're already righteous. Oh, you can still do stupid things. That's not what we're talking about. He has made you righteous and holy by the blood of Jesus. Jesus living in us, He is the one who is holy. Now, I want to end with a couple of statements here. Christian. I've hyphenated the word. Christian means Christ in on the day of Pentecost. It's interesting. This little aside has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Well, maybe it does. You remember in Isaiah 61 where it said, and the acceptable year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, Isaiah 61, the first three verses, you know, I've come to set the captives free, out of prison, blah, 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 and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Jubilee, 50th year, was when all slaves went free and all debts got paid. 50. When the Spirit of God was given on the day of Pentecost, Penta means 50. Hello? See any connection there between Jubilee and the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost? whereby all the slaves get set free and all the debts get paid. I didn't make that up. That's some cool stuff. So Christian means Christ is now in me and He is righteous and He is holy. We are now saints and we have a new nature. Now that's what 2 Peter 4.1 says, that by these precious, exceedingly great and precious promises, we have become partakers of his divine nature now that sounds like new age stuff I'm not saying you're God what I'm saying is God now has his nature living within you divine nature not only are we saints and have a new nature but actually the new covenant changes everything it absolutely revolutionizes everything our mind our heart our spirit our body everything we are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man or any woman is in Christ, 
They are a new creation. Y'all remember when I preached on that? Some of you weren't here probably, but it's not an old pair of shoes that I get a new pair of shoes, just like my old pair. They're just now kind of primped up, primp my shoes. Uh, but, but they're absolutely new shoes. They're different shoes. These are shoes that can cause you to fly around the sanctuary. They are new. You see, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. What passed away? Isn't that interesting that when someone dies, we use the word passed away? Guess who died? The old man. The new man now lives in the new creation. We have a new heart. Many people often quote a place in Jeremiah where it says, well, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And in my half-glass, empty theology, I would go, yeah, that's right. i got an evil heart. You never hear him quote uh, Ezekiel 36, 26 that says God has given us a new heart. By Braley. <laughs> She's my grandbaby. <laughs> my newest grandbaby. <laughs> We never quote uh, Ezekiel 36, 26, that God's given us a new heart. Oh, no, my heart is deceitfully wicked. Get over it. He's given me a new heart. I can live out of my new heart, not the old, because I'm no longer old. I'm new. One final point, God's given us a new mind. 1 Corinthians 2, 26 says it is the mind of Christ. You say, oh, I need to get my mind renewed. Yes, you do. But how do you do that? By fixing your eyes upon Jesus looking full in His glorious face. And all of a sudden, all the stupidness in your mind begins to be transformed in light of His amazing grace in your life. You see, this is not heresy. This is what the Bible talks about. We have just been fed a theology that wants to tend to keep us over here and this is who I was. I am no longer living and this is who I was. I'm beginning to live and this is who I am. And it's transforming everything about me. And here's the good news. The more I get, the more you get. I think that was the prophetic dream that was given last night. God setting me free of lies that I have believed for ages. And God is setting many of you free as well from lies that you have believed. Dean, would you come up? We're going to close with a song. And it's an old song that I've actually asked Dean to, uh, to play and to lead us in worship. And it's a prophetic song. It's called, I Will Change Your Name. Now, some of you may remember that from way back in the day, but this is exactly what God is going to do to some of you today. Now, how's He going to do that? I don't have a clue. It's God's ministry, by the way. Jim can't do it, and I can't do it. But here's how it can happen. If you're in a place where you're stuck in your cerebral, I've got to figure everything out, I would encourage you to simply lay that at the feet of Jesus. And I would ask him, if I were you, that in the midst of the cobwebs of my limited, finite understanding, God, would you begin to press the revelation of who you are and who I am into the deep recesses of my heart? And I can't do that for you. But I can lead you in it. Now here's how we're going to do that. If you're one of those people who... Yeah, I understand Jesus died. I understand the blood of Jesus. I understand, I understand all of that, but I still don't get it for me. It's not yet become revelation that will be transformational. Now, here's what you can do. You simply ask. 
God begin to release the revelation of who you are, your word, by your spirit, through my mind and into those deep recesses of my heart. God, would you begin to change my name? Some of you are living with words like forsaken and desolate, lonely, afraid. Uh, fearful, you know, on and on and on. Some of you regularly speak to yourself as if you have no value or no worth at all. That is a lie and an accusation from the very pit of hell. God has moved heaven and earth to send his son for one purpose, to destroy the lies of the enemy in your heart and in your life. Why? because he wants to set a people free to know who they are so that they know how to share the life and the love of Jesus with those around them. As we begin to worship with this closing song, if you want to stand before Jesus as an indication, God, I'm asking you to move something from my mind into my heart about who I am, about how you see me and who you are, and my purpose and role in this life and I'm just going to ask you to stand this isn't a lot of hype this is here I am Lord touch my life right now the rest of you just close your eyes and if you want God to do that for you your standing is simply a, a demonstration of okay God you got to do something that I can't do now we're just going to worship and you just lay that out before the Lord and say God do in my heart what you need to do so that I can really begin to understand that I am a new creation, I have a new heart, I have a new mind, I'm a saint, I'm no longer a sinner, yeah, I can still sin, but you've made me spotlessly clean by the blood of Jesus.
Some of them will be names that you'll get in the, in the natural, like my wife's name was, um, is Cynthia, and it means moon goddess. See, our children were given names prophetically, and every one of them are beginning to walk in their destiny. Some of you are hearing names for the very first time that are not related to your physical name. Overcomer, joyful, dancing before Jesus. <laughs> Remember dancing with wolves? This is dancing with Jesus. Some of you have that name given to you, dancing with Jesus. Father, I just want to break every lie, every accusation upon your people today in the name of Jesus. And God, I release them today to become all that you've called them to be, called by your name. God, would you release the prophetic ministry to call others out of their places of darkness upon your people. God, release the giftings of the Spirit so that we might have all of the equipment necessary that comes by virtue of your life living fully in us and through us. God, bless your people today as they go out. Lord, encourage them as they walk in the way. Lord, help them to speak life to those that they meet because they see you for who you are, because they see themselves for who they are, because they see the world for who you have made them to be, not who they are. Lord, bless them and fill them and encourage them today. And everybody said together. Amen. God bless you. Hug on somebody as you leave. If you'd like special prayer, there'll be some of us up here and we would love to pray with you. Have a wonderful day in Jesus.